It's a really special day for our family, and I just uh, want to take a quick moment before I read and just thank everyone uh, for allowing us, our family, to be part of, of this family. It's just such a wonderful church. And uh, I also want to take a quick moment and just thank Jim Barnett. I mean, he has become uh, just so important to Julie and I, and he's, uh, he's my first call when we have a really tough uh, situation and a tough decision. So, Jim, thank you. Um, I'm going to be reading from Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 10. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I, know, and I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited, because these are surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. If you look at the cover of your bulletin, uh, our series is called Grace That Is Greater Than. Do you get it with the math symbol there? Isn't that great? Jacinta came up with that. I can't take credit for it. And two weeks ago, we talked about grace being greater than our sin. Uh, last week, we talked about grace being greater than our wrongs. In other words, imparting grace upon people for whom it's difficult for us to impart the grace <clears throat> because of something they did to us, some way that they wronged us. And uh, we talked a lot about forgiveness and uh, appreciate uh, the feedback uh, that we received on that. Today we talk about grace is greater than our weaknesses. Indeed, it's through our weakness that we make uh, a great difference in the world. It was the great Scottish preacher, uh, Alexander McLaren, back in 1890, who said to his congregation, please be kind to everyone you meet because everyone you meet is fighting a battle. I think that's very fair. Each one of us is fighting some battle right now. Uh, the degree of intensity that yours in particular is, I don't know, but we all fight them at some point all along the way. Why? Because we can be weak. We have weaknesses, but we don't like to talk about weaknesses. How many of y'all ever went to a job interview where people say, what are your greatest strengths? And man, you were ready to rattle those off. And then they say, what are your greatest weaknesses? I don't want to tell them that, you know? You go on monster.com now and they give you techniques and things to say if people say, what are your 
greatest weaknesses, and you're supposed to say something, well, I'm a perfectionist, I'm extremely task-oriented, and I always get the work done, but I've learned to work well with people so that we all finish it together. So you really haven't talked about a weakness, you've just said I'm a hard worker, and, and you really kind of gotten away with something there. A number of years ago, my friend uh, David Earhart, who many of you know, recommended a book for me to use in a ministry class, which I still use to this day, and I bet some people here a lot of people in the first service hadn't used it before. Anybody ever heard of the book called Strengths Finder or Strengths Finder 2.0? Okay, how many of y'all have actually taken Strengths Finder at some point? Okay, used in corporate settings, university settings, things like that. It's an interesting book where uh, on the back flap you actually get a, a password and you go online and you take an online assessment and then it winds up giving you your top five strengths and describes them in depth. And it's really a helpful resource, I think. If the Apostle Paul, though, were to recommend to a ministry class for me a particular book, I'm quite certain he would call it Weakness Finder 2.0. Weakness Finder. Because Paul makes it clear again and again and again that it's through our weaknesses that God's grace shows up so dramatically and the most dramatically. And it's through our weaknesses that really the gospel is shared in God's kingdom most effectively. Now, he tries to drive home this point to the church at Corinth, which is really interesting. Had to be the most difficult church to whom he could drive home that point, but no doubt they needed to hear it. Why did they need to hear it? (laughs) Uh, Corinth was a strengths-minded city. That's all there is to it. It was a destination city. It was like New York City or L.A., something like that. Very cultured, lavish lifestyle, social elite Uh, extravagant buildings. You might have heard of Corinthian pillars, these huge pillars that were very impressive. They had a huge emphasis on two things, intellect and and just personal strength. You know, think of a university in an iron tribe, you know, on every corner. Anybody in iron tribe? These people are, really? Okay, I'll just say that some of those people are scary, but anyway, I love iron tribe, great people. Turin, you're in iron tribe? I'm never going to go with you because I won't go... I won't do well in there. That's cool. But just think of that. You'd be a good Corinthian. Uh, but like a university and an and iron tribe in every corner, it was very much what I would call a resume town. You know, it's a town of winners, a, a town of succeeders, a town of type A people. Does that sound familiar? Uh, such folks in the Corinthian church, and obviously some in Mountain Brook too, they didn't think too highly of Paul. At least a number of them didn't. And Paul was not one to throw his resume around. He, everything he did was about Christ. You know, now, at first encounter, Paul might not seem very impressive. I mean, you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and he actually says, I know what you say about me. My writings are impressive, but when I show up in person, I'm not very impressive, and I'm not a good, you know, I don't have great delivery. I'm not a great speaker. I thought about this, and I came across a cover letter that Paul could well have put on his resume if he were applying for a pastoral Uh, position, and he might send this to a pastor search team. So I'm going to read this to you, because imagine if you're on a pastor search committee, and this is what you see on the cover letter of a resume. I should like to apply for the pastoral vacancy you advertised. I have many qualifications that I think you would appreciate. I'm a good organizer, and I've been a leader most places I've gone. I've been able to preach with power, though people say I am not terribly eloquent. I've done some writing, but some people have found my letters hard to understand. And I'm the first to admit that my handwriting is barely legible. I'm over 50 years old. I've never preached in one place for more than three years at a time. And most of the churches I've served have been small. In some places, my ministry uh, has led to riots and disturbances. And I've been jailed on several occasions, uh, unjustly, of course. 
My health is not good, but I get quite a bit done, and I have a good work ethic. I generally work well with people, but I have been known to knock heads with colleagues and have found that there are some people I simply can't work with. I'm pretty good with names, but I have been known to forget who I baptized. Clark, I remember you. Uh, I don't have a permanent address, but I will do my best to keep in touch. Now, if you were at the Church of Corinth and you got that on the cover of a resume, would you be very impressed? Probably not. And that's part of why they were not impressed. But we know better. I mean, Paul was the greatest missionary ever to walk the planet, greatest ambassador for the kingdom of God ever, wrote most of the New Testament. Just an amazing, amazing influence on Christianity. I think you can make an easy argument to say that other than Jesus himself, Paul has had more influence on Christianity than anyone in history. But Paul says it's not through our padded resumes but through our vulnerable weaknesses that God works most effectively. Now, that's hard to drive home to these Corinthians and sometimes to you and to me. You really appreciate Paul talking about his weaknesses when you see him. He he realizes, look, how am I going to get through to these uh, Corinthians? Well, I'm going to have to boast a little bit. And and I'm going to have to boast to them about what an effective Christ follower I've been and what I've sacrificed. So he actually has to toss out some of his uh, ministerial resume in ways that he has shown to be such a strong Christian. And he does that in chapter 11. And you can tell he is so reluctant to do so. He keeps saying, I feel like a fool doing this, but this is what it's going to take to reach you guys. And so I've asked Caitlin Hayes, where are you, Caitlin? There you go. Come on up here. Come on down. Uh, Caitlin, by the way, is our ministerial intern who works both with Matea and uh, uh, Caleb, and she's doing an awesome job, right, young people who are in here? And they love her. I see parents, parents too, nodding and smiling. But I've asked her to give uh, the resume that Paul puts down in chapter 11 saying, yeah, I'm a, I've been a pretty good Christ follower, a pretty courageous one. And he sets that up because of his context and the people he's trying to reach. Go ahead. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches. Okay, stop right there. I mean, very impressive. He just ticks off all these things he's had to go through. And he talks about what a daring, courageous, Christ-minded person he is. You know, if you want to talk about pedigree, hey, I'm a son of Abraham. Uh, I'm, I'm an Israelite just as much as they were. Talk about persecution. Look at all these persecutions I've faced. Talk about performance. Yeah, I've performed well. All these different things. And he says, look, you know, I, I can tick off all this and outdo you in terms of a Christian resume, in terms of one who has dared to follow Christ. And then he makes this really interesting turn 
when you get to uh, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, and he decides, well, I'm going to tell them about one other thing on my resume. And he pulls it out from his deep past, from 14 years before. And he does it for a certain reason, because the Corinthians back then were really big on visions and ecstatic utterances and just really cool supernatural kind of occurrences. Keep in mind, just a few chapters later is where Paul has to deal with the issue of speaking in tongues. It's, it's uh, at the church at Corinth that he has to talk about that in chapters 12 through 14. So they love this kind of otherworldly, weird kind of heavenly stuff. And so Paul says, you know what? I've never talked about this. I'm reluctant to share it. But here we go. So here's what he talks about. Here, this is the cherry on top of this resume here. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body of or out of body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things. Things that man is not permitted to tell. Okay. Now let's look at uh, verse 4 here. It says, I was caught up to paradise. Now that's a New Living Translation. If you take a more literal translation, as Craig read and as Caitlin read, uh, it says, I was caught up in the third heaven. Uh, He had some type of weird experience. He doesn't know if it was in body or out of body. He doesn't know. He says, what's important is that God knows. But he had some kind of direct revelation from God, some really cool experiential uh, encounter with God. Now, it's important to keep in mind, this was nothing new to Paul. You know, you you go to Acts uh, chapter 16, and there's the Macedonian call where he has a vision to go to Macedonia. You go to Acts 18, and Jesus appears before him and assures Paul that he's going to be with him when he uh, gets to Corinth. You go to Acts 23, uh, Jesus appears to him again and says you need to go to Rome. You go to Acts 27, there's a storm at sea, and an angel of Jesus comes and, and, and encourages him and tells him not to be scared. So he's had these other things. But this one obviously is very, very unique, and it's one that he doesn't like to share and throw around, okay, because it's pretty extreme, very sensational. I was caught up to paradise, or I was caught up in a third heaven. Now, what is, what is, first of all, he speaks in third person in, in a verse in, uh, before. He says, I know of a man who, and he's talking about himself. No, he's not being prideful. Uh, that was a Greco-Roman rhetorical technique back then to try to get a point across, and you would change yourself from first uh, person to third person. I'll explain it later if you just want more on that, but there you go. Uh, but he's making a persuasive case for this boast. Now, the third, uh, the third degree of heaven, whatever, what is that? Are there three levels of heaven? No. Scripture makes it very clear that there's not. We really don't know what he means by that, which is why some translators just say, I was caught up in paradise. Well, okay, I think what he's saying is that's the most profound revelation I've ever experienced. I cannot, could not even put it into words, and it was just that amazing. Again, he's using that, though he doesn't want to, He's using that to try to reach these Corinthians who are so resume-minded and, yes, experientially minded. By the way, just to be transparent, I know how reluctant he was and didn't share it for 14 years. If I have a third heaven experience, you're not going to have to wait 14 years to hear about it, okay? It'll be grace along the journey next week. I'll say, hey, I've got to tell you all about this. Put it on Facebook. I'd be working it into every conversation, you know, no matter what anybody was saying. I'd say, well, you know, when I was in the third heaven, you know, go with it. But Paul waited 14 years to share about it. Why? Because it wasn't about him anyway, but he realized, I can use this now to reach these people. And that's why he suddenly does this dramatic shift. He flips it. Go to verse 5. He says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my what? My 
weaknesses. Why? Because based on his own experience, Paul will tell you, you're going to learn a lot more about God and be used by God in the thorny times of life than you ever will in some heavenly experience you might have. Which brings us to the thorn in the flesh. Verse 7, I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, what was the thorn? We don't know. Actually, it could be used back then to refer to a stake uh, or a spear. Uh, It's often referred to, actually, in Greco-Roman literature, to, uh, to a Roman cross. It can mean a Roman cross, which is interesting. But it's something in your life that continually punctures you. What is that for you? Is it a sin? Is it an appetite? Is it something that you struggle with with family, friends? Uh, Is it something physical? Is it something emotional? All of us are battling something at any point and have a thorn in our own flesh. Some people think Paul had a certain opponent or a group of antagonizers. Uh, Martin Luther, since he struggled uh, deeply with depression, he thought that maybe it was some form of what he called the melancholy. Um, probably a physical ailment. Some people think it was epilepsy because back then if uh, someone had epilepsy, people would spit on them because they thought that would keep the demon away uh, from having them have a seizure. And he actually thanks the Galatians in his letter for not spitting on him. So some people, you know, surmise that. We really don't know. Some think it was an eye disease because he couldn't read very well. He had to write real big. Uh, It really doesn't matter. I am convinced that Paul left it ambiguous deliberately. Why? So we could all identify with it. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh is, but it doesn't matter. What's yours? Secondly, obviously, he keeps it ambiguous because it's not about him, but the good news about how God works through that thorn in the flesh. And why is it there? It says it twice. To keep me from being prideful, to keep me from being conceited, as the old translations say, to keep me from being unduly arrogant. So let's go on to verse 8. Three different times I begged the Lord, I parakaleoed the Lord. I begged, I pleaded the Lord to take it away three times. And it's interesting here, by the way, I just think this is cool. Whenever Paul uses this word plead or beg anywhere else in any of his writings, he's talking about God the Father. This is the one time he's talking about the Lord, who is who? Jesus. I find that interesting because three times he pleaded with Jesus. Is that not an echo of the Jesus we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times pleading that this thorn of crucifixion would not come his way? Fascinating stuff. And again, it goes on to say uh, that my grace is sufficient. Go to the next one. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. And I love this. Uh, we, we sing a song sometimes, uh, your grace is enough. Uh, uh, older translations say, my grace is sufficient for you. It's really cool because the adjective sufficient or all you need in the Greek appears right at the very beginning. All you need is grace. <laughs> all you need is my grace. Sufficient is my grace for you. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. It's really almost like taking a balance, like a scale. You have the thorn, whatever your thorn is over here. You have grace over here. And it's basically Jesus saying, that's going to stay there. That's not going to go away. It's permanent, whatever your permanent thorn is. But always, Jesus says, my grace is always going to outweigh that thorn that is always there but my grace will always outweigh it. You know, where would you see the strength of God if you put on fake armor? You know, it's really when we are vulnerable, when we're tired, when we're less than eloquent, when we're less than smooth, less than together. It's when we're more vulnerable. It's when we're weak, and then God can see us working. It seems so paradoxical, but, but that's the way 
we best serve the kingdom. It's, it's when people say only God could get him or her through that with that thorn that they have. Think about it. on How many of y'all have ever been on a mission trip and you get in a situation where you feel utterly inadequate and like a failure? Anybody? Okay, the rest of y'all are lying. Um, but uh, it's so cool to get in those situations where you really don't know what you need to be doing and yet God somehow works it in a way that you wind up making a difference, probably a bigger one than you would ever think. Even make, you know, Clark, I'm even thinking about, Clark, does it feel weird to go up in the baptistry and, you know, get baptized and everything? It, there's a little weirdness to it, isn't there? I mean, you don't do that every day. And, and, and yet, you know, it's cool because it's kind of a weak moment and you're in there with this middle-aged guy who looks like he's 20 and... Uh, <laughs> It's a very weak moment for me. Uh, but I mean, and, and you do that, but what's cool is it can be, there's an awkwardness to it, and yet there's a strength to it because you stood up and said, Jesus is Lord. I loved how you turned to everybody. We never had somebody do that. Oh, that was cool. And, uh, uh, but, but again, there's something weak and vulnerable and awkward about it, and yet it's, it's a powerful testimony. It's a powerful witness. So again, it's through our weaknesses, through our awkwardnesses, that God's power is really shown. So he goes on to say, he basically concludes with what? Verse 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I've always loved how Jesus used such ordinary, seemingly weak individuals to carry out his mission. You go to the book of Acts, these unlikely disciples, most of them who did what for a living? Fishermen. You ever watch Deadliest Catch? It's like those guys, you know? And, and he uses these people, which is why I love Acts 4.13. The members of the council, after hearing these bold proclamations by Peter and John, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Well, I think the second sentence really answers the first one. These were ordinary guys, but because they knew Jesus... <laughs> And they knew about what it meant for Jesus to go to the cross. Think about it. We merit the thorn. You and I deserve the thorn. Let's put it this way. What if you were punctured for every sin you ever committed? I mean, think about that. There wouldn't be a part of us that was unpunctured. I mean, we would be fully, I mean, we would be fully punctured all over the place. We'd be riddled with them. That's precisely why he chose the way of weakness and suffering on the cross that we might be delivered. That is the journey, that is the pathway we take toward suffering and weakness for his sake. I know it's easier said than done. I know I showed a video last week and it got uh, a lot of response and some folks were very moved by it. I don't think this one is as dramatic, but I just love this guy named John Scott who's a senior at Christopher Newport uh, University in Virginia and I just think the way he shares his own testimony encapsulates everything that Paul is talking about here. So I'd like for us to watch this video as we close. My name is John. I'm a senior, Christopher Newport University. Can't believe it. Uh, philosophy major. Uh, don't know what I want to do yet, but hopefully we'll figure that out before, before May. Um, I love life, love Jesus, love people. I was born uh, in Connecticut, um, where my dad was stationed at the time. We moved to the Norfolk, Hampton Roads area um, when I was uh, four or five. Around that time, we started noticing 
uh, uh, problems with uh, my older sister and just the way that she was walking, the way that she was growing. We went and had her seen by a geneticist and they found out that she had a disability called Morchio syndrome, uh, which is a de debilitating disease that uh, progressively attacks uh, the joints and uh, bone growth and development. Um, and they quickly realized that um, I also had the same condition that she had. When my parents first found out, um, I don't remember this, but my sister has told me this story that she just remembers uh, my mom and my dad um, sitting at the piano, um, holding each other, crying um, while playing the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And that's really, I think, sums up the, the image that um, my family and myself have taken with my condition. It is difficult, um, but at the same time, uh, life is good and the Lord is good. Um, and, and whatever happens, I know that um, it is well. There are times that I definitely feel held back. There definitely is separation. There's a height separation when talking to people with, with dating relationships and things like that. Uh, I've definitely been held back by my size. Um, and, my, and by uh, my disability. But in other ways, um, you know, I felt pushed forward. I feel like I really have something different that I bring to the table um, and something that uh, is unique. And, and I like that about myself. Everyone, everyone is, is, is broken in my opinion. Everyone has hurt, everyone has pain. Some people are able to hide it a lot better. And I think people see me um, and they realize that I can't do that in a lot of ways. Um, my brokenness is worn on the outside. But they, they see the, the outside effects. Um, and, and I think that opens up people to be a little bit more vulnerable. So many college students are hurting and broken and lonely. We're really a people that's really, really dependent on each other and really lonely. I've seen people open up to me um, about things that they never open up to anybody else about um, simply because I think there's that aspect of I'm, I'm a weak person, I'm gonna let you know that. Um, and I think, I think God has really used that um, and to, to really impact people's lives um, and to really show people, you know what, it's okay to be weak. We're all weak, we're all hurt, um, and we're all wounded, but um, we, can, we can use each other to, to get to the end. And I think that's where um, I see God's faithfulness uh, in using something that is not good for, for good. I love what John says about, you know, there's no way he can hide his weakness. And so that actually opens doors for people because they realize that's who he is and he ma makes them all the more approachable in terms of sharing their own weaknesses. You know, we talk here sometimes about being transparent and that's great, being vulnerable and open with each other. We don't do that just for an Oprah moment. We don't do that for a feel-good kind of thing. We do that because when we are transparent, we become a window really for God's power and God's grace. And that's really why we do such things. So I hope we will keep that in mind as we ponder what, what Paul is trying to get across here. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, help us to remove the masks and the layers of pride that we have and be willing just to be more open and honest about who we are, what we struggle with, what battles we face. Yes, what weaknesses we have. For so often it is through journeying through those weaknesses that really you are glorified and people see how we continue to be faithful just as John is uh, 
We continue to believe, we continue to walk with you and to be unabashedly committed to you in spite of our awkward frailties, in spite of uh, all of our failures, in spite of those things that, that bother us, that continue to puncture us on a regular basis. I want you to take just a moment and, and talk to God about some thorn that you have right now that's, that's pressing against you, puncturing you, and ask that maybe in some way you could be used by him because of that very weakness. Will you do that for just a moment?